Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, the finale of Season 12. This week, we are going to be looking at the Raspberry Pi 4, but specifically the thermals, the temperatures, the throttling, and we're going to learn about a case for the Raspberry Pi 4 that is supposedly going to bring those temperatures down for us. We're going to find out if it's really worth the extra money. Stick around. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is episode number 625. And what does that mean? Excellent. It means, <laughs> I know where you're going with this, Jeff. That's 12 seasons. Woo-hoo! 12 seasons wow. of Category 5 Technology TV. A dozen. Done. Well, well not yet. This. At the end of this. So yeah. stick around for the next hour because then we'll be able to say that it's done. seasons. 12 seasons. Did you ever expect 12 tech. seasons? Uh, I didn't not expect it, but I didn't know what I was getting into. That's right. for sure. I mean, here we are in our studio space with great people around me and a great viewership and wonderful viewers in the community. And here we are every single week. Okay, we'll talk. I, I got, I, are we going to reminisce 12 seasons later? We'll, we'll talk a little bit later okay, in the show. Fine. This week, though, uh, we are going to be looking at the Raspberry Pi 4, and specifically yes. a little bit about the thermal aspects of the Raspberry Pi, Pi 4. <laughs> it's getting <laughs> hot in here. The Raspberry Pi has been running. <sighs> it is and it's like, That's why it's warm. Yeah, so it's 83 degrees here in Studio there, D. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. I, I don't do I'm well watching. with heat. Turn that thing off. It's probably good that our air conditioning has been broken for the past couple of weeks because this is a thermal test of the Raspberry Pi that 4. Is not a we'll be able to see. I ever want to say. I'm glad the AC <laughs> broke. But it works out well for us in this particular instance. Yes. The Raspberry Pi 4 is known to be a hot little yeah. piece of kit. Let's just say yeah. that. It gets hot. And when it does, it rumor has it. It throttles itself. Yes. So, hey, if she seems pretty fast and then it gets hot, it's going to throttle itself down and run a little bit slower. Yep. You can store it in an ice chest. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Stick it in the freezer and run cables in. That's right. And it's going to run at do 1.5 gigahertz. No, don't do that. No. <laughs> Condensation, folks. Finally, I had a bad idea that do I could well. say, don't do that, too. You guys are going to say that to me. No, the, the proper thing to do is to add a heat sink. That's what... Oh, everybody's that's what I meant. Oh, yeah. Add a heat sink to your Raspberry Pi 4. That's the right thing to do. Well, we haven't done that tonight. We're looking at the Raspberry Pi 4, 4 that gigabyte. Smoke? Oh, that is it's a lot. Oh, my goodness. That's a little bit of green smoke over there. Can you guys smell that? We'll smells do like that capacitors. thing that they do on the Weather Network where you just crack an egg and the egg fries on, on top <laughs> of the right. Raspberry Pi 4. <laughs> yes. I did actually put my hand on top of that case over there uh, just before the show, and I could feel the heat coming off of it i could feel that it was a little bit warm not warm enough to melt the plastic thank goodness but it is uh it is getting a little bit warm so we'd like to actually see 
if we're able to heat up that Raspberry Pi 4 by simply running a stress test. And what that's going to do is it's going to run the, the CPU right. as hard as we can possibly run it. We're going to basically bring this thing to its knees and yeah. see if we can get it to get hot and see if we can get it to throttle. That's the thing, because we're, we've heard... So, you know, rumor has it, if you've been looking at the Raspberry Pi 4 as perhaps a desktop replacement or even just something to have on the desktop as a computer, maybe a set-top box, it'd be great for that. It's got two 4K HDMI outputs, so you can hook up two TVs, mm -hmm. theoretically. That's the idea. I mean, right. it's a powerful little beast. Except then, then it's going to get hot. If it gets hot, does it? throttle itself, which means it takes the speed and turns down the speed in order to keep it cool. I'm going to jump over here just really, really quickly. Um, so I'm just working my way over on the set. I just want to quickly show you that inside of this case is a bare naked Raspberry Pi 4. And what I mean by that is there is no heat sink and it is running. It's been running for about an hour here at Studio D and we've purposefully got it that way so that we can run some thermal tests and find out where this thing is going to fall as far as the temperature and the frequency. And frequency refers to, in this case, how fast is the processor running. Okay. Right. So the base frequency of a Raspberry Pi 4 is like 600,000. So that is 600 megahertz. Okay. So 0 0.6 gigahertz to put that into yep. current standards. Um, so I've actually got this up on my computer screen. I've SSH'd in and I have a tool on NEMS Linux. So this tool is open source. You're welcome to use it, port it, whatever you want to do. However, it does rely on the thermal data that's provided by NEMS Info, part of the NEMS Linux operating system, which is a monitoring system for Raspberry Pis and other devices, mm -hmm. single right. board computers. And it's, it allows you to monitor networks. You can find out more, even download it, and run these same tests on your device at nemslinux.com. In the root folder of NEMS Linux is a folder called NEMS admin and within that folder is a program called NEMS stress. NEMS stress uses the Linux stress command in order to, as I said, bring this thing to its knees. It's going to detect how many cores there are on the processor and then say, <laughs> we're going to max all those cores out. Nice. And it with yeah, just all just unbelievable amounts of processing. So you don't want to do this on a on a production system. We're doing this on a system that's sitting up on our bench specifically to see the thermals and the frequency. So NEMSTRESS will report a little bit of data. That data is collected by the, um, the, the frequency, the speed of the processor. Has it been downclocked? And whether it is, uh, what the temperature is. So I'm going to jump over here because it is going to take about five minutes to run. Um, so let's zoom in and in that folder, ho uh, slash root, slash nems, slash nems admin, I'm just going to run dot nems and stress just like that. And we're going to let that run and it is going to take five minutes. So it's already activated NEM stress. How do I know that? I can actually switch windows here. I have another uh, terminal window and I'm going to type HTOP and let's look at what is happening here. You see that processor? It is maxed right out. So we were at a one, one uh, load average. We've now hit 10.38 and that load average is now 12.43. 
and climbing 14.4 and you see our four cores on the Raspberry Pi 4 they are 100% maxed out That's right. we're bringing that thing right to its knees right and if I task back to our stress test it's just doing its thing so if you didn't have the second window open you would just see that it's working away and you'd have yes to wait. yeah okay. I would just simply see this dot 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 but then i get the report at the end jeff right which we're going to see and that data from the report is very important to us right. so as i mentioned this is tracking with every little iteration so basically every second it's tracking uh, things like thermal data the frequency of the processor has it um, scaled up has it scaled down how has the temperature uh, increased and then finally at the end what our averages are Oh, okay. does it get, does it also give you like a real time shot of oh it took this long to hit max and then it does uh, no it doesn't no? because okay. it's just a five minute average right okay. right so this is so what I see is that okay. and at the end is the the general report you're going to see that in just a couple of moments time uh, looking at H top again there it is still sitting at one hundred percent why are we doing this I want to see so this is this is key we're all interested in the Raspberry Pi four mm -hmm. yes. What difference is it going to make if we go with the stock case? Right. Right? Versus something a little higher end. Why would we want to spend $30, $40 on a Raspberry Pi 4 case? That's the question that we're setting out to possibly answer this week. Because the alternative is throwing it in a freezer. That is, that's a very expensive case that uses a lot of electricity. That's right. This is true. But it makes ice cubes. It's true. This is also true. TV dinners are a thing, That's right. not currently a thing with our solution that we have That's here. That's how you cook That's a TV dinner. <laughs> we can probably do it. We're going to find out, Sasha, if we can cook a TV dinner with this thing if we, uh, once this thing is all said and done. So the test is a running. You know, and this, you know, going back to the fact that, you know, we're now like the end of a season, yeah. you know, 12 years. The fact that we can run a test for five minutes, waiting for dots to compile on a screen, oh, and we can just fill it with you know, conversation like that sounds oh, good yeah. and techy. Fill five minutes. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jeff. Is that actually on our script? No. Okay, dot. Okay, so... Dot. As far as... I'm these, just reading what I see here. Fair enough. But yeah. as far as these tests are going, what is it doing? So like for somebody who's running this test yeah. that's going, how is it heating it up? Like, why? Check out the Linux stress command. So NEMS stress, what it does is it creates several instances of the stress command, which maxes out the processor. And it creates, I don't know, I think it's nine instances of it. And each of those instances pushes every single core right. of the processor. So it works it really, really hard. It's just a CPU test. And the only reason is to see, does the CPU get hot and does it throttle? Is it easy to accidentally do this without a stress test? Like to accidentally like max it out? <laughs> How many like tabs do you have open in Google Chrome? <laughs> right? That's the question, right? Yeah. It, yeah, because the thing is, it seems limitless. It seems like something you would just, you'd ask it to do a lot. And then all of a sudden it would get hot and it would... Slow right now. Sasha's like, I don't know if Nem stress is running, so I'm gonna run it again. <laughs> That's who I am as a person. Just see right. how that goes. That checks out. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we actually have an Eladuino 
aluminum case that I'm going to enrobe the Raspberry Pi 4 in. Okay. And the Eladuino case, now we've seen these before for the Raspberry Pi 3s, and I absolutely love the aluminum Yes. Uh, nature of these because they're they're heat dissipating they're very well constructed they're very attractive aesthetically mm-hmm. and um, now with the raspberry pi 4 what's happened is the raspberry pi 3 cases are no longer compatible correct we've seen that like through the years raspberry pi has maintained a fairly good consistency from so uh, you know a raspberry pi 2 and then upgrade to a raspberry pi 3 you can reuse the same case right. and just get the upgrade well this now with a raspberry pi 4 you can't do that <laughs> any guesses why that is like from a no but from a from an actual physical standpoint of the uh, raspberry pi 4 the size of it must be the size is identical the how about the little yeah, the little... The, the screw yeah. holes? Yeah. Nope. Screw holes are in the same place. They're, oh. So uh, what could it be? What could make it so that it's impossible? Different peripherals? Mm, different ports? You're close. Different ports, yeah. It's the yeah. dual <laughs> HDMI. So remember, the Raspberry right. Pi, up until the Raspberry Pi 4, only had a single yeah. full-sized HDMI. Now, right. they have a dual mm-hmm. um, HDMI micro. So you have to have a special case in order to do that. My thermal test has completed. Ooh, okay. Well, this is the NEM stress test. Here's what we know about the Raspberry Pi 4 running as it is, just in the standard case, and working that baby as hard as we can. Lowest temperature was 69.627 degrees. Somebody's got to write this down because we're going to have to refer back to this. 69. 69.627 degrees Celsius was the lowest temperature. So that CPU on the Raspberry Pi 3, uh, 4 was sitting at 69 degrees before we ever before started. We Just started. sitting there idle, yeah. doing nothing. Okay. Then as it went on, it hit 85.698 degrees Celsius. God, it's up fast. Yeah. Now, interestingly, the slowest speed at idle was uh, uh, 1.5 gigahertz. So when you see 15, uh, 100 and, what is that? 1,500,000. That is, in fact, 1.5 gigahertz, the top speed of the Raspberry Pi without overclocking. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the maximum speed was the same. And when the board was hot, this is very interesting. Even when it got up to 85.698, because I've heard that it will throttle after 80 degrees. It didn't throttle. It did not. It didn't. It didn't throttle. The frequency maintained was 1.5 gigahertz. Is this this the first time you've run this test? No, I've run it a few times just to see. um, And this is this is the result without a without any kind of cooling system, which is very interesting because, uh, like you, I've only read the reviews and people talking about how well if it gets hot, it's going to throttle, and if it hits at 80 degrees Celsius, it's going to throttle. Now, is that based on a sustained time frame? Well, this was five minutes, which I sure. I mean, if maybe it it kicks in at say 10 minutes, it goes okay. This has been too much. I can't handle. You guys want to wait? No, no. (laughs) But I I just like. Has anybody looked at the programming within the Raspberry Pi's firmware to look at where is that throttling kicking in? Yeah, I I think that's an interesting point. Now I do see you know at first boot. So I've had it idling. So to be fair, the goal here was to make it so that the two tests would be as close as possible. So I've had it idling for about an hour, and with that, 
Now, when I first turned it on, it was sitting at 600 megahertz. Right. Now we do see that even when I first started this test, it was running at 1.5 gigahertz. Right. So something about the Raspberry Pi, maybe because NEMS is doing more things than just sit and idle. NEMS right. has Nagios and everything else running and, and a MySQL server and Apache 2 and everything else. So there's a little more heft going on. Uh, so, but it didn't ever scale down. Right. And I think, Jeff, the whole intention be- bet- with throttling is that when something gets hot, it's going to throttle down very quickly. Yeah, so it you would see yes. that. You would see that in that temperature increase because that's a pretty big temperature increase. You would see mm-hmm. throttling if throttling were to occur. So at 85.698 degrees Celsius, it still did not throttle over a five-minute threshold. Mm-hmm. So would it throttle eventually if it sat that way for 30 minutes? It's possible, mm-hmm. but this is something that's happening in the kernel. This is something that's yeah. happening um, actively, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't see it happen here. And how, but I mean, how often? Overnight. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you <laughs> off. But how often would you, you know, be using your Pi to the point where you've maxed it out for a sustained period? That's it. That's why we're pushing this to its knees. We're doing this specifically to see would it throttle? Yeah. Would it get really, really hot? And it didn't. No. It didn't get super hot. I've seen Odroid XU4s get hotter than uh, 85 degrees right? and sustain that happily and not have a problem. Now, this is an interesting case because there's no heat sink whatsoever, and we're right. sitting at about 85 degrees. Mm-hmm. Now, getting a quick look at this as well, we've got an average temperature of 78.67, oh, pardon me, 6373. You folks see that? degrees. The lower that is, the lower the temperature at heavy load. And the average frequency, of course, is still 1.5 gigahertz. It stayed there and maintained it, right? Right. So now I'm going to halt the Raspberry Pi 4, which is to shut it down. I've lost connection to the Raspberry Pi 4. And I'm going to jump over here, and we're going to get a look at this Eladuino case. So as I make my way over here, folks, we're going to disconnect the Raspberry Pi 4 from its peripherals. We've shut that down using Halt. And let's get into this case. I can feel the heat coming off of that. I mean, 85 degrees. Oh, yeah. Oh, it feels smoking. You want to feel that? Yeah, feel Actually, free. I do want to come over. Yeah, I feel free. Too. Yeah. It's like show and tell. Get your hands in here. That's right. So <laughs> the interesting thing, don't touch the processor, but anything else is fair game. Wait, which one? Wow, that so is... Don't touch the CPU. That is warm. Yeah, it is pretty warm, folks. Oh, yeah. Wow. What's interesting about the Raspberry Pi 4 is the heat dissipation occurs over the entire main board. So the PCB dissipates the heat so that it is... Uh, spread over the entire mainboard, and we're not going to have it like the Raspberry Pi 3, where it's very much focused on the CPU. Right. So this board is designed in such a way that it's trying to get that heat off of the CPU and into the mainboard, and I can feel that very much so in the uh, in these peripherals. And while I don't have a thermal thermal scanner in order to show you that, I can tell you that that's the case, and I will tell you as well that we are working on obtaining such a device. Now, this is the Eladuino uh, aluminum case for the Raspberry Pi 4, and as I mentioned, we have looked at Eladuino cases in the past. I've been very, very pleased with them. Um, this is a very nice aluminum oh. case. That looks nice. And doesn't that look interesting, eh? So, let's get... 
a little further into the box. It's a little bit more in there. There we go. Um, so this is these are just like non-slip uh, pads for the bottom of it and a screwdriver. So let's open this up. You'll notice with the Aladino case for the Raspberry Pi 4, there's a couple of things of note here. Um, one is that it is wall mountable. Do you see these wall mounts? Yes. yes. So you can actually hang this thing on the wall. Um, also, it has a touch sensor here that allows you to control the, uh, the fans, but the fans are also thermally controlled. So as the Raspberry Pi 4 gets hot, it's going to increase the, um, the speed of those two fans. Right. These are intelligently controlled fans. So let's get in here and see what it, uh, what it looks like. So the screws are actually in here out of the box. There we are. And there we have it. So you can see that this is not just, these are not just fans that are powered by the GPIO. These fans are going into a controller circuit and that is going to be connected to the Raspberry Pi 4's GPIO. However, okay. it's much more sophisticated than just direct like power coming off of that. And there we go. Raspberry Pi 4 is going to go in there. I have not removed the SD card. Um, and it looks like it's going to just be a nice, snug fit. Look at that. Very slick. Yeah. And I like the aluminum uh, nature of these cases as well because, as we know, aluminum does what to heat? Takes it away. It kind of dissipates it and spreads it out, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. How easy is this to install? It's very easy. You didn't so even need the instructions. <laughs> I didn't. They're here. I if I need that. them, I have them. I'll show those to Jeff after the show. He'll read it. You did it all wrong. Yes. <laughs> what have you done? All right. There is one thing in the instructions that I need to know is how do I wire up this circuit board? Jeff or Sasha, maybe you have access to that information. Uh, do I have access to I that feel like, do you close it before you wire it all together? Like, oh, there. That's it. Okay. That's done. Okay. Uh, I can see that there's a little bit of a plastic film on this. So I'm going to remove that. Okay. If you ever get a new electronic device and you wonder why it looks scratched up, it's probably this plastic film. Yes. We had that, go. didn't so we? We did. Yeah, okay. That, yeah. yeah, you put the, the, like, you completely assembled it without plugging it in. There you go. Done. Well, here's the GPIO, because remember, the GPIO, the camera output, the SD card, everything is accessible right here. But, uh, and I can see the camera uh, connector there. Right. And what colors, uh, how am I going to connect this? Now, red is to what? Uh, red is to pin 4. Pin 4. So here's my GPIO on the Raspberry Pi 4. Uh, so I've got pin 1, 2, Three, four. So pin four and oh. blue or black. So, so that's all there is to it. Okay. Blue, or, blue or black um, is connected to pin six. Uh, that is correct. All right. So that should be all there is to it. So what I like about this, look at how sleek this is. That looks good. I think so. I like how El Arduino has created a form factor that is actually encased the Raspberry Pi 4. Yeah, and it's like very low profile. Like, I mean, the fact Extremely. that the USB ports still stick out above the case. These, yeah, do you guys see that? Look at that. So these the cable are, was a little bit smaller. The cable I is kind of... I kind of there's three more cables in different colors and just... <laughs> <laughs> so 
<laughs> you can stress which one to cut. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> can you push that in? I don't know. Maybe you could. Maybe if I t- maybe if I paid more attention when I was putting it together. Think about that as you're putting it together. Maybe you could make that a little more streamlined. But yeah, you're right. the The cable does stick out when it's plugged into the GPIO. So that's like the one, like. Nah, that was probably a design flaw, if you could say. Not really a flaw, but they could have made something that was a little bit more baseline. Yeah. Straight, like flat. But if that's the only issue, like, come on. Yeah. Really helpful that the cable is the same color as the table, really. Yeah. (laughs) Does that help? (laughs) No, you said that that touchpad, you can control the fan. So it's just a matter of, it's almost like a a slider? No, no, it's just like like a touch lamp. Oh, gotcha. So you just oh, okay. touch right there. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm going to plug back in the Ethernet. Okay. There it is. So Ethernet is connected. Doesn't that look sexy? I'm sorry, guys, but that is sleek. I suppose that's one way to... It looks nice. <laughs> I like... I mean, I'm a geek through and through, but that looks really nice. It looks sharp. Yeah, look at that. And there's the two HDMI micro outputs that I was talking about. Yes. Plus, you've got the AV output still. Um, but HDMI micro, a little bit of a pain. Uh, anyone who has ever used HDMI micro, if you're using an adapter, you're probably going to be hard-pressed to find an adapter that will sit side-by-side with this. Instead, I would recommend that you find a cable that has HDMI micro at one end and full-size HDMI at the other end. I'm going to plug in the USB-C, which immediately powered up these fans, and it uh, looks like it's good to go. Now, if I touch that, you see what happens, Jeff? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's just a quick little t- tap. Now, is How that do they feel like what? With like, is there a yeah. lot of vibration? There's no vibration whatsoever. Okay. There's no sound. I'm gonna hold this right up to my mic. You guys can see that it's right <laughs> up. You see the top mic. of your head, but yeah. Okay. So there's there's Puts the, the sound that you're getting. <laughs> yeah. There's okay, my shave now, for the day. When you touch, all right. The I'm gonna button. set this down and come over to the set. If you want to bring us up to uh, to the wide shot there. Yeah. Now, when yeah. you touch the button to activate the fans. Yeah. Did they like? Are they gonna stay on permanently, or will the computer take over? They're gonna. Yeah. It's gonna. The circuitry is going to spin it up if it gets hot. Right. Spin it down if it gets cold, and and it's gonna automatically adjust. So you don't the have fan to worry speed. about like, oh, I turned it on, I forgot to turn it off. It's not like that. Oh no, no, and by default. As soon as the yeah. Raspberry Pi is powered up. So if the power goes out and you don't have a uh, UPS or like a, a Pi Voyager from Omslo uh, connected to your Raspberry Pi, then y- it will automatically turn back on the fans. Right. Okay. So what say we should run those same tests yes. and yeah. see how the thermals are affected on the Raspberry Pi 4 having placed this in the, um, uh, in the Eladuino uh, case with I the fans? Hypothesis. Size, you think this is going to work? That this is going to run cooler. Ooh, I'm really curious to it know. Is. Straight out of the box. Stick around. We'll be right back. Before the break, we looked at the Raspberry Pi 4. We ran it through a NEM stress test, and we brought it to its knees. We got it really, really hot to the point where, you know, even touching it, we could feel yeah. that even the USB ports, the, uh, the Ethernet jack was really, really hot. 
Yes. Now we've put an Eladuino case. This is an aluminum case with two intelligent fans on the Raspberry Pi 4. And with this, you know, the question is, you know, are we skewing results by, you know, we had it off for three minutes while we were installing it. Did that make a difference? I don't think it really did. I mean, maybe like micro amounts, but fact is, is that the system is going to heat back up again as soon as we hit that with a NEMS stress test. It'll be interesting to see if the temperature reaches the 85.698 degrees that it got before. I'm really curious. What was the starting temperature of our test with with no heat sink, no nothing? It was 69.627 degrees. 69.627. So back at NEMS Linux, I can actually type NEMS info temperature 45.27. Okay. 45.27 45.27 is what it is right now and it's it's running. Yes. Okay. So that's what now don't you don't need to write that one down because no, that I, one's I, not a part of our NEM stress test. No, fair enough. So but the, the stress test that, has not begun. Uh, but we know we're 20 we're, degrees yeah, cooler. That's a big deal. That's huge. Yeah. Forget oh, the firm wow. the oh, right, firmware yes. update that's yeah. supposed to drop it by like 3 degrees. Yeah. So what's what so what is the let's just say NEM's info uh, frequency? And see, we are at 600 hertz right, right. now. That's where you started. 600 before. megahertz, pardon me. That's where you started before. I knew that the other one yeah. was at 600 megahertz, but by the time we started the test, it was already running at 1.5. Yeah. Right. So yes, it has made a difference in those numbers. As soon as we run the stress test, it's going to immediately throttle up. Yeah. We're going to see that. And again, I can see that if we look at um, our other Linux window here. So we see our current load average is 0.13. Shall we begin our test? Yes. So this is on the Raspberry Pi 4 with the Eladuino case. I'm going to run NEMS stress. And here we go. The stress test has begun. Let's jump back over here, and we see that we are sitting at 100% CPU usage. Now, just because we want to do this quickly, Jeff, NEMS info temperature, 55.991 already. Okay. And uh, averaging... Okay, so it's oh, 56, yeah. And I can actually type watch, and I can see that temperature change. So 57.45. See if that changes as the oh, stress yeah. test goes on. 58 point, And it's, at, you know, it's fluctuating up and down a little bit. See that? Um, 59.4. So we're hitting higher numbers. Now, I can also check the frequency in real time. Remember, my stress test is happening in another window. Okay, so I'm SSH'd in using two different uh, windows here. So I can type frequency and see what I'm sitting at. So I'm at 1.5 gigahertz. So pretty much immediately it says, okay, there's a lot of stuff happening. Let's crank up the CPU. Because the Raspberry Pi smart and says, well, we don't need all that processor power, so we're going to clock it down to 600 megahertz. But as soon as you start the stress test, of course, our base our base speed is going to be 1.5 gigahertz right. because that's the speed that it's going to clock to. Now, one of the questions we had in from Ameridroid when you were running, Hi, Ameridroid. The, f- when you were running the first test yes. is, uh, is NIMS checking the speed of all of the SOC cores? No, it is not. It okay. is checking the, the No, it is not. the. So what he's asking, there are four cores. Right. Are we checking the thermals and the speed of every single one of those four cores? To answer that question accurately, the only way to do that would be to look at source code. 
Oh, okay. So, nano et, uh, no, user slash local slash nems slash nems scripts slash info dot sh. Um, user local share. I missed the share. Share frequency. And that's pulling from uh, CPU zero. So, could that be different? Let's Bo's find also out. asking about the speed. That is the frequency. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Right? So that's, that's exactly what I'm about to show you. So that test is still running here. And let's go back to this. So we are only looking at CPU 0, which is the first core. Uh, oh, pardon me. I need to cat that. That is sitting at 60, uh, 600 megahertz right now. Interesting. Uh, let's go to CPU 1 is at 1.5 okay. gigahertz. Wow. CPU 2, 60, uh, 600 megahertz. CPU 3. So you see how averages are causing this to have a, uh, a different impact. 1, 2, 3. So, that, uh, so, so 0, 1, 2, 3. 0, 1, 2, 3 is your four cores of the processor. Right. So we have... There was three of them at 600. Yeah, and at one. that moment. Right. Because we're right at the end of the test. So yeah, the tests okay. were winding down. And right. so three of the cores had clocked back down to 600 megahertz. One of the cores was still running at 1.5 gigahertz. But I think right. what you'll find is in those instances, it's going to be um, clocked high. So our lowest temperature was 43.329 degrees Celsius. Jeff, how does that compare to the Raspberry Pi without the Aladino case, Jeff. So we were without the Aladino was we're at sixty nine point six two seven as a starting base. Yeah. Now, as a factor of variability into this, it was running for an hour without that case. But to be fair, it was only shut off for five minutes as we well, exactly right. yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there could be some variation, but the a fact little is, bit. it started with the fans already running and, and the aluminum case yeah. already cooling it down. Sure. So it started at a at a lower base. Fair enough. But look at that, man! It's twenty six degrees less than the base of the Raspberry Pi without that case. Uh, okay, looking at the highest temperature, we're sitting, uh, well, we hit 61.348 degrees Celsius. 61 was the top temperature of the Raspberry Pi Which 4. Which is less than the starting temp without the case before. That is worth it, I would say. There we go. That's astounding. The no pun intended, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else have we got here? Now, slowest speed, if you will, is 1.5 gigahertz. The maximum speed also, 1.5 gigahertz. It never fell below 1.5 gigahertz. Now, do you guys want to touch this? Okay. Because we've just run this through a major stress test, just like we did with the Pi before. It should be significantly different. Yeah, it's significantly different. Do you want to feel this? Guys, I feel like I have to because we felt it yeah. before. Here they come. I'm off the set. Yeah, you They're guys, heading you over guys there. Can't I'm back see over the heat, to the but you can't see that. That uh, you know, that kind of just feels like pulling a wallet out of your back pocket. Kind yeah. Of oh yeah, that's it. There's nothing to it. There's nothing. No heat whatsoever. Huh. It's like cool. That's interesting. How do you like that? that so cool. the Aladino case is aluminum. And it, is, uh, it has the dual fans that are intelligent that will spin up as it gets hotter. Maybe that's why we're seeing the drop from, okay, we hit 77, and then all of a sudden, boom, 48. How'd that happen? The fans said, oh. 
let's do this. Yeah. yeah. Let's make this happen, guys. I wonder if there's a way to log the fan rotations. Oh, let's do all these things, folks. Let's do all these things. Because that, that would be fun to see. Like, because you, know, you can look at the fan and be like, ah, oh, it's just going. But Graph that. But maybe you know it's like a, you know, a, a car engine where it's like you're lo- you can't see the movement. It's going so fast. But the difference between you know, 2,000 RPMs and 3,000 RPMs is a big difference. But it still looks the same. Yeah, and no sound, no like no perceptible vibration or anything no, like that. Nothing. And of course, the board itself is solid state. So, is the Eladuino case worth the extra money? I'd say yes. Well, I don't even. Ah. I don't want to say it. I want you to say it. Think about it for just a second. Is it worth it? So, yes. Except that yes. Except. Except. Oh, wait for this, folks. There wasn't a problem in functionality with the last one. It got hot, but it didn't change the function. Mm, interesting point. But by keeping it cool, are you going to prolong life? Sure you are. So That's I, a I do key think. thing. Yeah. But the other thing we, we didn't test, we talked about it with the first test, is maybe it's where it's been a sustained time frame of, you know, five minutes or something. That We're going to run it. this thing. NEMS stress is available on any NEMS server. I'm just, I'm just Edit like, it. Making lots of problems. Jeff, here. this is for you. NEMS stress. Edit it, folks. <laughs> First thing, how long do you want to run it for? Jeff? Ever. No, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Do, do, do 10 or 15 <laughs> Okay. Minutes. That's all you need to change. That's all you need to change. Forever. You're never powering that thing down. I'm serious, dude. I'm going to write that out. I'm going to run that. Dot slash NEMS stress. Running the test for... <laughs> a whole lot of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Grab Nems Linux from nemslinux.com, yeah, if you want to run the test on your own board. I, I'm, with, I'm with Jeff on this one. I don't see any downside to the board. I mean, it does cost you a little bit extra, but you are gonna, you're going to extend the life of the Raspberry yes. Pi. And, and when you're running something like a Nems Linux server, if you want to use it as a set-top box, if you want to use it for Plex Pi, for example... Even as a RetroPie gaming system, yeah. Yeah. the cooler it can run, the better it's going to perform because yeah, there are other peripherals, too, that get hot. That's Think right. about the USB. Like It has USB sure. 3, and you're going to have a hard drive connected to that because it's 10 times faster than USB 2. That's right. So you may as well connect uh, a drive to that, and, and you want the best performance. But, so it's not just the CPU that's going to be affected by heat, but also, as Jeff mentioned, the longevity of the board itself. Right. How long will it live? And it looks good. It looks So, I mean, at the end of the hot. day, if you're going to be a responsible pie owner, actively cool it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, folks. That's the Raspberry Pi 4 with the El Aduino case. We've got to head over to the newsroom. Sasha, if you're ready for us. I am. Excellent. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category5.tv newsroom. Facebook has confirmed that at least 200 million phone numbers from members have been exposed in an online database. It could be more than twice than that. An estimated 600,000 GPS trackers for monitoring the location of kids, seniors, and pets contain vulnerabilities that open users up to a host of creepy attacks. To protect query privacy, Mozilla will begin a slow rollout of DNS over HTTPS by default in its Firefox browser at the end of the month, moving all DNS queries to Cloudflare. And a blind man has helped develop a smart cane that uses Google Maps and sensors to navigate the world. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. 
Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Facebook has confirmed that at least 200 million phone numbers from members have been exposed in an online database. It could be more than twice than that. Yes, we took a break from Facebook's weekly data leaks these past few weeks, but we weren't joking when we said it continues to happen. The company said that it is now investigating, trying to figure out who compiled this database of anywhere from 200 to 400 million phone records, leaving it online unprotected. It's not believed to have been compiled or put there by Facebook. The database of telephone numbers and Facebook IDs was discovered on an unprotected web server and was not password protected. The database was taken offline after the news site TechCrunch reported the issue to the web hosting company. In April 2018, Facebook switched off a feature that let people search for other users by typing in their phone number. The company said malicious actors abused the feature by typing in millions of phone numbers to find out who owned them. It said that they had been harvesting profiles and phone numbers for years by abusing the search tool and that anybody who had not changed their privacy settings after adding their phone number should assume their information had been harvested. Okay. So understand how this happens, right? Like, you know that checkbox that says, allow people to find me by my phone number? Yep. Yes. Yeah. So 000001, 000002, and just cycle through, right? Write a bot to yeah. do that. And boom, it harvests all these. So it's not a data breach per se. It's that, that checkbox that allows them to find you if they know your phone number allowed anyone to, to harvest based on exactly. bots. Exactly. Just spy. It's like the bot dialers, right? Angel yeah. dialers, they call them. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. So remember when we used to get a lot of solicitor calls and mm. it was just random? Used to? Well, it shouldn't be too high now. But they then again, calls. I'm on Magic Jack. I, so I what would are you say on? I at, don't least, Bell, do at least once a week I get a call from the Canada Revenue Agency. Oh, There's sure. a warrant for your arrest. Yeah, uh, but, but Jeff, and then you, you got to take that one seriously. Right. And then there's always the it's guy legit. calling to <laughs> exactly. clean my ducks, and oh, I yeah. let him know that all I've got is geese. Ah. And he doesn't figure that one out. Couldn't ah. figure it out? No. Are, uh, you're on Bell, then? No. Virgin. Virgin? Yep. Huh. Some kind of... So I just use Magic Jack. Yeah, I know. And we've changed our number before. It's just a button I, in... I, I will say... You just like, log in and push a button, and it gives you a new phone number. It, it does not happen with Magic Jack, because we have Magic Jack for our home address. We have since 2010, yeah. and I've never once had a spam call on it. I have, but you can block them. You can just log in again into the interface on the website. I, I don't just, have them blocked, and I've never had it. Huh, never had good. one. So, I mean, yeah, it's fairly rare. I'd like to know who put their phone number on Facebook. A lot of people... You do. have to, in order to authenticate your yeah. account. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. At one point, you didn't have to. I don't think I had to. Um, if you signed up a long, long yeah. time ago. Well, you are not on Facebook. Now, now I am not on Facebook, so I can't check. Yeah. But I don't but think I, my I phone think number was on Facebook. I could be wrong. I mean, I've only ever signed up for Facebook on an app. Mm. I think if you do it on the web, you don't require a cell phone. Because obviously, they can't text mm. your cell phone and be like, oh, is this correct? Yeah. I think. But I could be wrong. I don't know. It was a, a, a security concern. I'm pretty sure I raised it on the show before. Yeah. How Facebook was forcing people to provide phone numbers in order to confirm that they are who they are. And that's fairly common practice. YouTube is the same. You yeah. cannot be a YouTube creator without providing a cell phone. A cell phone number. 
Oh, not even you a can't whole even number? just have a landline. They have to be able to SMS you. Now they really well, you can it's activate it with a home phone, like with a phone number, and the robot will call you and say, "This is Google. Your authentication code is." Huh. So yes, I, my, my mistake. Yeah, you can do that. However, in my case, I had already done that a few times with other accounts, and so my personal phone number was maxed out. Like you're yeah. allowed to do it four times or something like that. Yeah. It's like activating Windows. You can only do it a hundred <laughs> times. Come on now. Right. Yes, of oh. course, I only have one computer running Windows 10. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Software piracy. Yeah. yeah. An estimated 600,000 GPS trackers for monitoring the location of kids, seniors, and pets containing vulnerabilities that open users up to a host of creepy attacks. The $25 to $50 devices are small enough to wear on a necklace or stash in a pocket or car dash compartment. Many also include cameras and microphones. They're marketed on Amazon and other online stores as inexpensive ways to help keep kids, seniors, and pets safe. Ignoring the ethics of attaching a spying device on people that we love, there's another reason for skepticism. Vulnerabilities in the T8 Mini GPS tracker locator and almost 30 similar model brands from the same manufacturer, Shenzhen i365 Tech, makes users vulnerable to eavesdropping, spying, and spoofing attacks that falsify users' true location. Researchers at a vast threat lab found that ID numbers assigned to each device were based on its International Mobile Equipment Identity, or IMEI. Even worse, during the manufacturing, devices were assigned precisely the same default password of 123456. The design allowed the researchers to find more than 600,000 devices actively being used in the wild with that password. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the Devices transmitted all data in plain text using commands that were easy to reverse engineer. The result? People who are on the same network as the smartphone or web-based app can monitor or modify sensitive traffic. One command that might come in handy sends a text message to a phone of the attacker's choice. An attacker can use it to obtain the phone number tied to a specific account. From there, attackers on the same network could change the GPS coordinates the tracker was reporting or force the device to call a number of the attacker's choice and broadcast any sound within range of its microphone. Other com commands allow devices to return to their original factory settings, including the default password, or to install an attacker-chosen firmware. And for those of us familiar with man-in-the-middle attacks, here's a scary one. A simple command allows attackers to change the IP address of the server that the tracker communicates with. The researchers said that they privately notified the vendor of the T8 mini GPS tracker of the vulnerabilities on June 24th and never got a response. So. I, okay. Hmm. Oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Go ahead, Jeff. Do you think it's by design? Oh, Jeff, don't go there. No, it's stupidity and it's cheap a, and cheap product. I, I'm going to say it's for monitoring. No, no, because a uh, proper monitoring solution that you're alluding to, that I know you're alluding to, is going to be encrypted and they're going to be hidden. Sneakier. The data yeah. is going to be hidden in packets. This is just going silly. to some server. Uh, 
I, I mean, is, you could be right, and maybe I'm just like, you know, going into the dark conspiracy theories of my mind, but to have something that simple, all the same password, yeah. like so easy, to me, that is a inferior product that they said, let's leave this open to be able to collect the data, access from anywhere. I don't buy it. I, I, I can't I would see that feel, as a mistake. No, I, I'm not. I like to think that people are inherently good. Yes. No matter what culture they're from, no matter what background they're from, that's what I believe. I actually could see the benefit of these if properly. Right. Right. I can see the good in it. And it it appeals to me. Like, it appeals to me to have... Alzheimer's patients. Exactly. Sure. Like, people who are wander risks, they think that they're going somewhere that i mean they think they're going home and they're living in a completely different city yeah and they're just wandering down the street and it's a panic until you find them we've had tragedies i mean we're up here in canada we've had winter tragedies where somebody has gone lost from a from a retirement home and they found them out in the middle of the ice exactly months later and it's tragic and like these kind of so this is somebody has created a wonderful idea Yes. But didn't have the knowledge or the financial backing to implement it correctly. Because it can cost tens of thousands and more to be able to develop the software correctly. So what I hope doesn't happen is I hope that they don't take a story like this and have a fear for a tool like this in general. Because used correctly in a safe, secure way, this could really help keep, Mm. you know, people at risk safe Including pets, sure, right? Yeah. It, it can help. Jeff doesn't it, want to believe it. No, it I believe. Here's why I don't believe it. Okay. No response. Again. If, if you are a... If I can back up just a second. My... From my eyes, this could be a company that has developed a really cool product. Mm-hmm. And they... Who knows what their company is like? It could be a startup. It could be... Um, but they've sold a ton of Like, this is a Shenzhen company. So we know this is a Chinese company. And how many Chinese companies are there? Lots. Good luck getting a hold of one of them in an event of a support issue. Right. If there's five people working for the company, they've built something really cool. They, unfortunately, have sold a quarter of a million of them. Because it's no, a great idea. It's a great idea. But, but I, they've I, done it incorrectly from a security perspective. I'm and we, still not buying it. I'm sorry. The fact that you can log in and change even the reporting IP address tells me just how flexible the back-end software is. And if that's the case, they should be able to push an update or do something. Let's just say that the person who does that has to be pretty knowledgeable about tech. And there's two things that I know about humanity. One, everybody's born good. Yes. And two, everybody's born stupid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we, Some of us and we have to learn. Get past that. We have to learn two things. One, to ignore bad and remain good and to become Not intelligent. Yeah. And, and by intelligent, intelligence is relative uh, and knowledge is what I'm referring to. Right. So, yes. so the, the, the person who developed this product or persons who developed this product, I believe, are, are going to be good. Their intentions are good. That's my personal belief because that's what I would, that's what I'd rather believe about the world. It's almost like they had a great 
a raw idea. And they took that idea and they just plopped it into the market as opposed to polishing it, making yeah, oh it yeah. secure. It's almost like see it all the they time. released it in step one and it needed to go through another 20 steps. Or I have the great idea. I don't know how to program. I'm going to hire somebody fresh out of school who has no right. idea about cybersecurity. Yeah, and I, they're going to be the ones to do it because they can do it cheaper. I would love these things. Like that I just too. to have one in my car would be great as yeah. a security oh, yeah. factor, right? So that if my car ever gets stolen, I can always not that my car is going to get stolen. It's tiny, <laughs> but um, but then I could track it or sure. on my person, so that if I get stolen, somebody can track me. Mm-hmm. Dave, you got the app. All right. <laughs> but, what do well, you think? I, I'm glad you guys are. You know like positive thinkers i i think this is totally by design and nobody wants to admit it and i don't, this is why we I don't believe that for a second <laughs> and then disagree with it you don't have to believe it who you do you agree with me who do you agree with is this deep dark evil um monitoring tracking trying to find out who went to the ice cream shop today in america or, so that's Jeff's opinion, or is it just somebody who probably hired some student to do the coding for them because they have a great product idea and that student didn't have any clue about cybersecurity and didn't know that they need to encrypt that data and encrypt that traffic and for goodness sake, use a hashed password and it's not one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Who's right? That's like from It's up balls. to you to decide. <laughs> okay. To protect query privacy, Mozilla will begin a slow rollout of DNS over HTTPS by default in its Firefox browser by the end of the month, moving all DNS queries to Cloudflare. Under development since 2017, DNS over HTTPS, known as DOH for short, transfers domain name queries, which try to match domain names with server IP addresses over a secure encrypted HTTPS connection to a DNS server, rather than via an unprotected, unencrypted, bog-standard DNS connection. This extra layer of security ideally prevents third parties, such as network service providers, from easily seeing the website's internet users visit and prevents miscreants from tampering with domain name lookups. Though DOH provides much more privacy than the status quo, it's controversial where lack of privacy is assumed or required, such as monitored environments that insist on content filtering, among other reasons. Back in July, the UK Internet Service Providers Association nominated Mozilla for its Internet Villain of the Year Award because DOH breaks DNS-based content filters put in place to deny access to explicit, obscene, or otherwise objectionable websites. A few days later, the trade group reversed itself after fallout from users. It's been claimed that DOH will make it easier for people to avoid network-based content filtering. Mozilla maintains that DOH improves overall internet security. Although Firefox's DOH service will be provided through Cloudflare's 1.1.1.1 DNS service at first, the list of supported service providers may grow over time. Mm -hmm. So... This is a tough one. Mm-hmm. When Google forced every web designer and web host to go HTTPS, mm-hmm. there's the 
understanding that this is more secure, this is more safe. My data being sent and received from that server is now encrypted. Right. But when Google did that, they also made it so that other search engines who track traffic in order to provide accurate results instead of PageRank are no longer viable. Their entire infrastructure now does not work because Google has made the internet HTTPS. So right. we don't see the fallout of a decision that they put under the guise that this is a security thing. Now, Firefox forcing DNS to be HTTPS based. It sounds like from a security perspective, this is a great idea. Now, my internet service provider doesn't know that I am going to category5.tv when I go there. Right. Because the DNS lookup is happening at an encrypted level, and all that happens, the transaction is IP-based. Yes. So, do you think this could be related to a fallout from things like illegal downloads? Like, it... Could this be used? What's the big picture? Is it does well, Mozilla have an ulterior ulterior motive like Google with HTTPS? Uh, well, that's what I'm asking. Like, I mean, I think of the case about uh, I don't know, was it six seven years ago, mm. where a bunch of people downloaded the Hurt Locker, and suddenly they got legal letters saying your IP was tracked downloading this. Right. So, is it possible that by oh. doing this, you can you can plausibly deny and say I never went there? Well. We can say that the DNS encryption is protecting us as users. Sure, right. it is. It absolutely is. Mm -hmm. But I am a daddy. And I have a pie hole. <laughs> yes, okay. Okay? I have a pie hole on my network that blocks advertising of all types, whether it's yes. pornographic or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. And my pie hole is subscribed, so this is a DNS filtration device. My pie hole also is subscribed to pornography lists. Yes. And adult content and gambling sites and all those kinds of things. So that my kids, not anything more than to protect them. Right. Now, so what they don't accidentally stumble on something that they... Exactly. ...wouldn't want. Yeah. Yeah. And tragically, this happens. Mm -hmm. Downloading... An MP3 file, Googling to download a particular song. Yeah, and happens. a pornographic ad pops up. Yes. From Google. Like yep. it shouldn't happen, but it does. So, as a dad, I want to protect my kids. So, I have that in place. Now, what Mozilla is saying to me is we're going to roll out an update that is going to change your computers, including my son's laptop and my daughter's laptop and my eight year old's laptop. They all have laptops. They're so freaking spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to change the settings on their laptops so that it bypasses daddy's protection and instead lets them see all those things. That blows my mind. And but presents it you, to them. That's if you use Firefox. That's if you use Firefox. Yeah. Yeah. So you know where I'm going. Yeah. Firefox, Ice Weasel, goodbye. Yeah. It is interesting though because I feel and I'm this is just complete layman's perspective. Okay. I do know that in the past for various places that I've worked, they have had internet blockers. Sure. 
So DNS blockers. So that you cannot use the internet at all. However, Firefox in the past worked for us. And so there was some staff who were like, oh, we're just going to bypass that because we got Firefox. Because Firefox is using an external DNS server. Right. Yeah. And Chrome does too. Chrome by default may or may not use an external DNS server. Right. But in this case, Chrome wouldn't work. So has this always been kind of a thing with Firefox where they've kind of pushed that edge a little bit more? Because, I mean, I'm going back 10 years. What I want to go back to, Jeff, is the days when my operating system determines my DNS servers. Fair enough. Yes. Okay. Think about that for a second. My browser, my BitTorrent software, the programs that I use to aggregate my RSS feeds, those programs have no right, from my perspective, to administer my DNS settings. Correct. Thank you. Who should set the DNS settings but me? I agree. And those programs should honor that. It's, yeah. And should, like, forcibly honor that. If they try to override it, guess what? Firefox is off of all of the computers that I own. Mm-hmm. Period. I, I think, though, we live in a day and age where people are not tech-savvy. That's they, the problem. I, I know, but they love their tech. And I say that with all due respect, yep. because you don't know that this is happening to you. Well, exactly. And so I think we've, I mean, when Facebook first came out with their whole, we're going to reveal everything to the world unless you say don't, that changed the internet game. Yeah. And so we've now seen tech companies go, oh, I don't have to follow those social construct rules that I did before. All right, we're going to change it up and we're going to do it this way. And so tech is now deciding how our lives live as opposed to us deciding how tech is supposed to operate. Mm. And that's just a change in society. We've allowed it to happen. And the more tech we use with the less oversight, the more they can get away with this stuff. And people don't care. They want to know when I turn it on, does it work? That's a problem. Yeah. And in this case... Motilla is making the decision saying it's more important to the users that they know that their internet service provider is not listening than the user having control over the content that their children sees. Yep. And that's an assumption that I don't think the web browser developers should have the right to make. I agree. That's I agree. my opinion. <laughs> Look at that. What is, what is yours? We agree. Unanimous. Exactly. <laughs> What? That's how we end a season. And that's it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Only comment below if you agree with us as well. No, just just comment. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A blind man has helped develop a smart cane that uses Google Maps and sensors to navigate the world. Cities are difficult to navigate at the best of times, but for people who are visually impaired, they can be like an obstacle course and a maze wrapped into one. A UK national travel survey found that adults with mobility difficulties took 39% fewer trips than those with no disability in 2017. Now, a new smart cane is set to change that by revolutionizing the way blind people can navigate the world. In order to guide its users around both low-hanging objects and obstacles above chest level, the WeWalk smart cane uses ultrasonic sensors to warn of nearby impediments through vibrations in the handle. The cane, designed by engineers from Young Guru Academy, or YGA, in Turkey, can also be paired with the WeWalk smartphone app via Bluetooth. Using the touchpad controls on the smart cane, the user can control the, their smartphone without taking it out of their pocket, leaving one hand free for other tasks. 
The tech doesn't stop there, though. Native integration with Voice Assistant and Google Maps software enables the cane to use its built-in speakers to inform the user of nearby stores and infrastructural details that they may not be able to see. WeWalk CEO and co-founder Kursat Silen, who is also blind, says that he helped to develop the cane out of a desire to use modern technology as a tool for the visually impaired. In a world where there's talk of flying cars, he can't get his head around why blind people are still just using a stick to get around. He says, quote, as a blind person, when I'm at the metro station, I don't know which is my exit. I don't know which bus is approaching or which stores are around me. That kind of information can be provided with the WeWalk, end quote. Currently, the startup sells the WeWalk for about $500. Of course, as they gain momentum, the price may change, but the features will also continue to be improved and enhanced. I love it. This is cool. Yeah. yeah this is a pretty big deal for me. I, I love I like stories it. like this. Well, and I mean, you deal with a lot of elderly patients. Yes. How many of them are visually impaired? Sasha's a personal support worker, yes. a care worker. With and the I do have personal clients who are visually impaired and or completely legally blind. Right. I feel as though even inside the house, the WeWalk cane would oh. be of so much use. Right. I, we have a place in town called Five Points. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's called Five Points for a reason. It's five intersections that come together at one point. It's, yeah. And it's when, difficult to drive through it, let alone walk through it. Well, we, my wife and I never really go into that end of town, but we did for a social gathering for family uh, just recently. And at Five Points, now, when it's time to walk, there's a beep, beep, yes. beep, beep yes. for the visually impaired that tells them it's time to start walking out into the Five Points. Yes. Two people ran a red light in front of us. Oh! <gasps> Two people. Yeah. And I looked at my wife and I said, if you were blind, like hearing this beep, 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 telling me it's safe, how would I know? Exactly. Two people right in front of us. That's a bigger social issue, though, because I see red light running sure. all the time. But this uses ultrasonic wave waves, okay? Yeah. So it senses movement and something coming at you and can vibrate and say, okay, stop. Yes. Right? From, the, from a smart cane. I love that. You know, the other cool. thing that I thought of while reading the story mm. is, you know the glasses? The, uh, Google Glass. The Google Glass. It's like a, a blind version of that. Right. So if you put Google, as, a, as somebody who's legally blind but with not, not complete vision loss, mm -hmm. but if you put Google Glass on and had the cane, then like major signs and stuff could show up in really high definition in your Google Glass as well, mm. right? Because Ooh, everything's, in, yeah, everything's integrated. Mm. Uh, I've seen people with the, the modified readers where they slide the, the paper under the, the, the thing and it projects, it, yeah. it, projects sure. it really large. Yes. Well, if that was happening integrated with the cane and the glasses. I'm curious to know, yeah. I don't know if, if someone who's that visually impaired could use Google Glass because it is still a small apparatus. Right, but would it not fill your whole f visual field if programmed yeah, to do I don't so? Know. I don't know. That's a good question. Because Anyone with experience with Google Glass, I'd love to know. Right. Regardless, oh. this is a cool story. This Very. opens up the world to people. Yeah. Like it's... It's game-changing to even have the confidence to go check your mail yourself. Yeah. Right? I get to somebody's house sometimes, and I, I have to go and check to 
to see if their mail at the front of the house it has been delivered. Sure. Because they can't get out themselves yeah. to do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can you imagine like just the independence of being able to do something as simple as that? Sure. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the whole point of accessibility is to to remove those barriers that prevents people from normal life. And so yeah. something like this is a huge accessibility device, and I love it. Mm-hmm. It's great. And 500 bucks is not that big a deal. No, no. No. Think about the cost of a seeing eye dog. Well, exactly, right? yeah. I mean, just to put it, uh, just a little spin on it. But, yeah. I mean, really. I mean, give give the dog a break for just an afternoon and go for a walk with your wee walk. You <laughs> exactly. know? And it'll tell you where the stores are. And, you know, dog can't do that. Exactly. Hey, there you go. You mentioned that you could have one hand free. So you've got your, your dog. Yes. And you've got your cane. You've got the... the, the the brains of the dog and the, and yeah. everything that comes with that and the s- smarts uh, from like the smart the informational the informational smarts of yeah. Google Assistant who would tell you when well. you were approaching your bus stop and whether or not the bus was on yeah time which or bus late. is it this is bus exactly. that's going to the mall yeah. or the one that's going to your house exactly right that's cool that's very like clever <laughs> and I love what he said which is why are we still using a stick it's yeah so like weird. let's smarten things up here folks yep. All right, I've got to take a look at uh, CoinGecko. Here's what the crypto market looked like. As of 1,800 hours Eastern Time on Wednesday, September 11th, 2019, Bitcoin uh, is uh, a loser this week, uh, losing $512.71 U.S. Um, Still holding pretty strong, though, at $10,103.22 U.S. Facebook Libra still not trading. Uh, Litecoin is at $68.71 U.S. Uh, Ethereum at $176. 85. Monero has gained very little uh, at 73.01. I mean, everything is pretty static right now. Scala, aka Torque, aka Stellite, is down to 0.55. I think they're losing some market confidence with all the changes and everything, and people are not sure where to go. Uh, Turtlecoin is uh, also down a little bit at 0.32 ten thousandths of a cent. Uh, And sorry, Scala uh, was 0.55 ten thousandths of a cent. Uh, Remember, the cryptocurrency market is always changing. It's volatile, and it is never going to close. So it's a 24-7 market. So when you go to bed at, say, 10 o'clock at night, the market is still changing. So, you know, you, you can't possibly be on top of the cryptocurrency markets as a trading uh, mechanism. So whenever you invest, whenever you decide to uh, put something into the cryptocurrency market, our recommendation here at Category 5 is to only invest what you're willing to lose. And we wish you well with that. Yep. And uh, we do have a tip jar if you do well. So keep that <laughs> in the back of your mind. That's right. <laughs> if you haven't lost your money in the Bitcoin, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Jeff Weston. Thanks for being here with us again this week. Folks, we've got to take a really quick break, and we will be right back. Stick around. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. We are celebrating the end of all things. 
No, just what? a season. What? Just a season. Oh. Just the end of season <laughs> yeah. 12. Come on now. All things season I like 12. giving you a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> this is the end? No, it it's a, not. No. We will be back no, but uh, it's, for it's season 13. It's the end of season, which is... Like, it's unreal, isn't it's it? It's crazy well, that another season has passed so quickly. Nice. We done good. Well done, everybody. Thank well you. done. Nice. We finished out the year without AC. <laughs> <laughs> With, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's warm. Yeah, it's and true. And that's not because of the pie. Wow, season 12 was uh, a pretty great season. I mean, we've ha yeah. had a lot of changes around here, and progressively the studio is getting better and better all the time. Um, I think, uh, like, while we don't often have guests in the studio, sometimes you hear us talking to Dave. Dave is here with us tonight in our studio audience. We've got seating yeah. for 10, and he is hogging the whole place. He's got it all. Um, sure. but we've had uh, folks like Bill Marshall and his wife, and, yes. and Bo was here from M Ameridroid along with his wife as well. And and, and having people here in the studio for me is yeah. a really special time, especially yeah. uh, Dave. No offense, I know you came a long way from, <laughs> you know, just up the road. But those who traveled from California, yeah. right. from New York, in order to be here uh, in our studio in Barrie, Ontario, and right. you know, treated it as a vacation with a Wednesday night stopover, and were a part of the show, and and uh, both of those gentlemen were were actually uh, willing to to be put in front of the camera as well. So I'm, yeah. I'm sure you all enjoyed that. If you do want to come oh, to I'm the studio, you don't yeah. have to be on air. You I don't mean. have to be world famous, but when you do that, you will become world famous. You will, however, like for sure, get to hang out with us, and we will cool. arrange that. Yeah, that is that is neat. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a memory for me. I mean, this season that really stands out. I also did a lot more soldering, yes. and I'm learning and to get better at it. Getting that's better. Some, that's something that I've been working on, and in season 13. I'm going to be doing more of that. We're going to be doing more hands-on stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be, you know, we're evolving as a show in season 13. I'm really looking forward to. Just be Robbie fixing all the things that I break. There you are. <laughs> no, I want to build things from scratch. Oh, nice. Uh, sure. We've done some repairs, and I am using the, the network switch that, that oh, okay. you and I had a look yeah. at. And I actually soldered and fixed and ordered the parts from Amazon after diagnosing it myself. And yep. it works great. That's what I'm using at home uh, in my NEMS server room. That's awesome. So NEMS Linux has a whole bunch of microcomputers, and I've got a 16-port switch for six bucks. Nice. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Any, any favorite memories for you two this year? I really was blown away by the Wisecam unboxings oh, yeah. so much that I was waiting and waiting and waiting for Christmas to come around because I was going <laughs> to get them for Dave for Christmas, and then I decided... You ah. couldn't wait? Let's not do that. Let's just do, you know, a birthday anniversary combo gift mm -hmm. because I love them. You've enjoyed some of the products that we've showed on the oh, show. Oh, that's me. Like the e-paper. That's yeah. a pretty big deal. Oh, yeah. 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 That was season 12. That was that was it. And we um, do tend to show some pretty cool stuff, and, and it's practical stuff. Mm -hmm. I yes. try to stay away from just tech that's just meh throwaway yeah. stuff like stuff that really is like hey this is pretty neat wise cam yeah e-paper yeah this is a cheap like you, like you can get them for 14 bucks yet it's pretty cool yeah. and it saves a lot of trees mm -hmm. or there was the time that i installed an os on my laptop <laughs> yes yeah via like garby and marshman which all is of incidentally work. when i heard of uh google's remote desktop feature yeah which is <laughs> wonderful yeah, Bill, well done. So, thank you guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, for me, it's been the interviews. 
Yeah. Like, uh, we've had some great interviews in the past. Like, I think of a couple seasons ago, uh, that interview about LIDAR and the, yeah. the a- Amazon rainforest. And I was like, that was the coolest interview ever. That was amazing. I'm so excited about this stuff. But when it came to this season, we've had some really freaking cool interviews that I'm going, okay, that just took the best, like, interview status ever. <laughs> in particular, the one we just had last week yeah, andrew was here and we yeah. were talking about their advancements in wi-fi technology look at episode number 624 that I, was a lot of fun it, it was and and i went home and my wife was watching tv oh yes and i interrupted her show to tell her about yeah the changes in wi-fi because i was that jacked up about it. i was <laughs> so so excited and so uh, the interviews we have done have been great and, and yes. i like that i like that the show you know you know, spanning 12 years has gone from just the basement, like, oh, hey, we're going to yeah. do this rinky-dink yeah. thing on a webcam to... Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> I like how you really boasted about season one. Well, yeah, but the point <laughs> is, you've now, you've now taken the show, and truthfully, it's you. You have taken the show 12 seasons to the point where we're now being sought out, and people are saying, I That's, want to yeah, be yeah. on your show. And, and they just, want and they want our product their products to be reviewed. Yeah. And just so you're aware, we're just this, having fun. Jeff, this is the Sasha show. Oh right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's I'm. True. She allows me to remain on the set, <clears throat> but that's uh, that's it. Uh, yeah. It feels uncomfortable when everybody else has it. It's way better <laughs> when I'm like, hey guys, it's the Sasha show. <laughs> I actually season thirteen. We're renaming Category Five Technology TV to the Sasha <laughs> show. <laughs> You know what? I'm far more available on Wednesdays, guys. Let's just switch the day. <laughs> you know what's interesting about interviews is quite often I don't know how things are going to go. Yeah. yeah. And, quite, and sometimes I even wonder, like, is this going to go over well? Yep. Mm-hmm. When we have somebody on to talk about their Wi-Fi technology, there's a couple things that I look at. One, I don't like things to be pitchy. I don't like things to be salesy, yeah. right? right? So that's, and that's something that's, it's hard to impart to a business person that is trying to promote their business at the same sure. time. But our approach has always been and, and continues to be, and I'm learning to, to learn how to direct interviews in this way. Our approach is, let's talk about the tech. Let's talk about how it works. Let's talk about uh, the personal aspects of how it came about. Mm-hmm. I love the personal touch too. Mm-hmm. Um, but without being salesy. And that can be tough. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. But and I think it's been, you nailed it. Oh, thanks, man. What do you think? Uh, have the interviews been a lot of fun for you? And that's something that we can focus on uh, more in the, in the coming months as well uh, yeah. with season 13. So, uh, What's your favorite memory? We want to know. Yeah, I'd love to have you comment below. That's a great point. What, what memories do you have from season 12 that uh, really stand out for you? And if you're not quite sure, head on over to our website. You can go to category5.tv. And on our website, you can go shows, category 5, technology TV, full episodes, season 12. And simply look at some of the content that's there and scroll down and say, hey, there's a good memory. There's something. Hey, the Orville fan experience. I love oh, it. Right. Like these kinds of things. You can look at these memories that are there. There's me soldering from the from Yay. above. Right? So check it out. Tell us what your favorite memories are. We'd love to hear from you about that as well. Um, now, for the first time ever, we are taking a week off from Category 5 Technology TV. So, Well, let's be clear. I think this season we had to take it off, but because there was no power. Well, so we were here. We sent out a 
file as right. best we could. But I mean, but like booking a week off. being off. Yeah, we yeah. actually, you know, our, our cable TV networks that broadcast us are going to be rolling a rerun next week. So September 18th, Category 5 Technology TV will be closed. And there is something going on that is exclusive to our patrons. So if you are already a patron, which is basically uh, a donor to Category 5 Technology TV, uh, who is helping support this effort and what we do here at Category 5 Technology TV, we do have a three-hour special just for you. If you're not currently a patron, you can become involved in that got a week. by going to patreon.com slash Category 5. That's right. Sign up in time so that you can participate in that show. Uh, but as I say, for the first time ever, there will not be a publicly accessible show on September 18th. So if you tune in live, um, know that that will not be available to you. However, in two weeks' time from the broadcast today, uh, Season 13 kicks off in our regular uh, studio with some improvements around here. Yep. Uh, that's part of what we're doing with our uh, our patron special on the 18th as well. So You have the uh, Dancing Monkey ordered for next week, right? I think it's already here. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It? His name's Robbie. <laughs> All right, folks. Have a wonderful week, and we will, well, have a wonderful two weeks if you're not a patron. If you are a patron, I am so looking forward to seeing you for the special next Wednesday night. Take care, everybody. See ya. Bye.